today's scripture is from Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We got some cute scripture readers. That's my wife, so that wasn't like creepy, sorry. I was, oh yeah, not everybody knows that. Okay, I should clarify. That is my wife, Bethany, and yes, she just gave us our scripture for the day. So uh, again, my name's Ian. Um, I already said this, I'm our our student minister, and uh, I'm gonna be talking to you today. And we are in our final days of 2019. Some of us, that might feel really great, you know? Anybody excited about New Year's? We are leaving this decade, going into a new one. Uh, We are going into 2020, which is gonna be really easy to remember. I think like if there's a kid that's born in 2020, that's ideal because they'll always, it'll be easy to remember how old they are, you know, and all that. When I hear 2020, I actually think of the phrase hindsight is 2020. Everybody hear that before? I hate that phrase, okay? Because basically what it means is, you know, your mistakes are very clear to you after you have already made them and suffered the consequences, right? So I, I hate that phrase because it's very true. Hindsight is twenty twenty. So if you look back on your year right now, it'd probably be easy to say, yeah, I shouldn't have made that investment or said that thing to that person. I shouldn't have done this or, or whatever. Hindsight really is twenty twenty, And this is the time of year where we do, we look back on our year, we look back on 2019 and we look forward to new beginnings, right? The new year means a fresh start. That's why a lot of us make New Year's resolutions. How many people have New Year's resolutions coming? Okay, a few people. And what's funny is, and this might not be true for everybody, but a lot of times they coincide with what we did poorly the year before, right? So, you know, I ate a lot of junk food this year, so next year I'm gonna eat a little more clean, or I spent a lot of time behind a screen, so I'm gonna pick up a book more often. You know, a lot of times we make our resolutions based on what we did poorly, and the reason we do that is again because hindsight is 2020. So, uh, my text today is in the book of Micah, and I don't think it would be crazy to wonder if the people, the, the people of Israel during the time of Micah's ministry probably had this hindsight's 2020 attitude, okay? So a little bit of the context during the ministry of Micah, who was a prophet of God in the Old Testament. Um, Israel, uh, during Micah's ministry, uh, he would have seen Assyria march in and invade the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, God was very angry with his people at this time. A, A lot of what Micah is about is God expressing his anger because his people have become idolatrous, okay? They've been caught up in idols. They've become very materialistic. They've become rebellious. They have come to value uh, like material power so that they can wield it over people less fortunate. Uh, And God sees that as wicked. And so this book, it it breaks up into several different narratives. There's narratives of judgment and then there's narrative of redemption and narrative of judgment and narrative of redemption. And for Israel, all throughout their history, it's this ultimate 2020 hindsight thing because Israel, they're always witnessing the goodness of who God is and then yet they turn away. But then God, you know, is redemptive to them and, and he forgives them and they see his goodness again and then they turn away. If you, you read through the Old Testament, you will find that this was a common theme with God's people. So, you know, hindsight's really 2020. We shouldn't have done that. We should have been more honoring of God or we wouldn't be in this situation. So I have this text, Micah 6, 8, uh, and I chose that 
because I believe what it does is it lays a great framework for all of us. Whether you loved your 2019 or you hated your 2019, a great framework for how we can all live going into 2020. A good way to just reset and look at how God wants us to live, okay? And I, and I love this verse. I'm gonna read it again. Uh, it says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, I wasn't gonna do this because it's embarrassing, and then I did it in first service, so now I have to do it again. So this, this verse was actually, my, when I was a kid, my parents, we had rules in our house, and they were all actually Bible verses. So like, I think the first one we were taught was Ephesians 6.1, children obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. They liked that one a lot. I think we had to repeat that one quite a bit. Okay, uh, but, but Micah 6.8 was one of our rules, and we actually had a little dance, and I did it wrong. I, I thought we all did like our own part, but we all did it together. So here's how it goes. My mom would say, he has shown you, immortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? And then we, me and like my siblings, we were all these little weird homeschooled kids. We'd be like, to act justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God, okay? We did the hips, okay? I mean, I did the hips, I don't know. But uh, yeah, it was our little song. So I always think of that when I read this verse, which is really unfortunate. And I shouldn't have even done that. I just did. People were like, why is he dancing with his hips on stage like that? Sorry, that's just what I think of. But man, you know what? Now when I read this verse, I don't just think of like silly memories from my childhood, but I'll tell you what, it does make me want to dance and sing a little bit. This verse gets me so excited about the goodness of God. And so what I want to do today is I want to just take this verse and I want us to use it when we ask ourselves, how should we live next year? What are ways we can be more like Jesus in 2020? And so we're just going to talk through these three things that are mentioned in Micah 6, 8. Uh, so again, it says, what, uh, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And that, and that word right there, good, actually, it, the translation really means uh, to be life-giving, okay? So basically, God has shown us what gives life, what is really good. It makes me think of the creation stories at the beginning of Genesis, when it says that God looks upon his creation and he saw that it was good, Trust me, the giver of life would certainly know more than us about what is life-giving, right? Uh, so, so God has shown us these things that are good. And so what does he require of us? Well, the first thing is this, to act justly. And listen, we love justice. If I, if I played a word association game with you right now and I said justice, I want you to think about some of the things that would come to your mind. So for me, I think superheroes come to my mind first. Like I think of like the Justice League, you know what I mean? Like Batman always in like his gravelly voice talks about how he wants justice, okay? Uh, like superheroes, it's all about beating the bad guy, you know, saving people. Uh, maybe for you, you hear justice, you might think of uh, a verdict in a courtroom, you know? Uh, maybe you think of the bully in the schoolyard finally, you know, getting what's coming to him, right? Uh, we really do love justice. And for us, it's often easy for us to kind of narrow our minds on what that definition of justice is. So here's how I would say typically for myself, here's how I typically see justice. I see justice as a closed fist, okay? I see justice as, yeah, you're gonna get what's coming to you, okay? Bad guy's gonna be defeated. The, the evil is going to fall, give way underneath the power of the good. That's why we love so many great stories because it's all about good versus evil and evil, the bad guy finally losing, the villain finally losing, 
And that is part of justice. So, so in biblical terms, and especially here in Micah 6, 8, the word uh, for justice is mishpat, okay? That's the Hebrew word for justice. And there's actually two meanings to it. And the Israelite people didn't separate these two meanings. In fact, if you try to do it, you might really miss the whole big picture on what justice is. Okay, so the first part of what justice is, it's what we probably tend to think of. It is punishment for the wrongdoer, okay? And and if you read through the Old Testament, you can't escape the fact that, yeah, there are many consequences that happen because of the sinful act of humanity, okay? Consequences happen when you do things that are wrong. We learn that from a very young age. Uh, In fact, in Micah uh, chapters two and three, in this very book, we read about some of the consequences that the people of Israel have coming to them. Uh, It says in chapter two, verse one, woe to those who dream up wickedness and prepare evil plans on their beds. At morning light, they accomplish it because the power is in their hands. And then later on in verse three, it says, the Lord says this, I am now planning a disaster against this nation. You cannot free your necks from it. You will not walk so proudly then because it will be an evil time. Later in, in chapter three, He says this, I said, now listen, leaders of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, aren't you supposed to know what is just? And yet you hate good and you love evil. You tear off people's skin and strip their flesh from their bones. You eat the flesh of my people after you strip their skin. All this really brutal graphic stuff. And then he says this, you will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer you because of the crimes you have committed. Part of justice is the consequence that happens because of the wrongdoing. When we think of that courtroom, we think of criminals who are maybe rightly convicted for things that they have done. That's an essential part of justice. But you know what? Sometimes I I like to hold on to the closed fist and I like to just make that my only true definition of justice. Because we know that God is a God who is going to come back and he is going to destroy evil and sin and death. There's not gonna be any more of that. I mean, you read the language that's used in Revelation when the enemy, when Satan is thrown into the lake of fire. I mean, we know that that's part of the hope that we have in Jesus is that death and sin are gonna be no more, right? The ultimate villain is finally going to be defeated. That is an important part of justice. But it's not the only part of justice. The other part of justice is this, and it's, it's another blank up there. It's, it's care for the vulnerable, See, at some point, the closed fist needs to give way to an open hand. Uh, this is a justice that's maybe a little harder to get behind. But, but here's what it says in Psalm 68, 5. It says this, God in his holy dwelling is a father to the fatherless. He's a champion of widows. He provides homes for those who are deserted and leads the prisoner to prosperity. And if you read through the Psalms, if you read through some of the Old Testament prophets, one thing you'll notice is time and time again, God continually aligns himself with the weak. That's actually pretty unique for like the whole Judeo-Christian concept of God. Most religions, like their, their sovereign God or their gods, uh, they actually speak to their people through like the rulers of their culture, right? Like they communicate with like the kings and the, the great elders of their culture. But God is unique. Our God is unique in that he has always aligned himself with those who are weak, those who need him. God's not impressed with power, He's not impressed with authority because he has all the power and authority himself and he wants to help those who are in need. Sometimes the closed fist of justice needs to turn into the open hand of helping those who need it. A preacher named Gene tells this story. 
Uh, so when he was a kid, he was at recess and there was this bigger kid who was picking on a, a kid who was like just very diminutive, very small, probably easy to pick on. And he was shoving him around the schoolyard and, and he was humiliating him in front of everybody else. And Gene is watching this and he thinks, well, what should I do? Should I step in? How can I help? And before he can even act, uh, these two other boys, they step in and they shove that bully to the ground and they get in his face and they say, you're not that tough man. You can't treat people like that. Go on, get out of here. And this bully, he realized, he said, yeah, man, I'm not as tough as I thought. And he hightails it off the playground, okay? And then, you know, this, this scene happens. Everybody who's watching, they just start cheering. They're like, yes, the bad guy lost. The bully, he got beat. Justice is served. These guys are getting pats on the backs for their bravery. And Gene feels that too. It's, it's so satisfying. We can all relate to that. It's satisfying when that happens, when people who do wrong get what is coming to them, right? And Gene said that he felt that satisfaction, but then he noticed that amidst all the celebration, he looks over and he still sees the small child who was bullied sitting on the ground and he's still weeping. So if we want to know what the true definition of God's justice is, what mishpat justice really is, we have to remember this, that sometimes the defeating of the bully isn't the same act as the caring for the victim. Sometimes we have to remember that God's justice require that we truly act on behalf of someone in need, that we make them feel cared, that we make them feel valued. It's good to know that consequences are coming for those who deserve them, but it's also really comforting to know that according to God, we deserve some of that and yet he chooses to help us. It's good to know that we serve a God who is interested in helping those who are weak, helping those who are desperate. In Matthew 25, Jesus says this, any of you who look after the least of these, you're actually looking after me. God always aligns himself with the weak because they need him. So, you know, we love justice and we have this narrow definition. And so we love it when justice is served. But you know what? Sometimes justice is service. Sometimes justice is taking that act of seeing somebody who has a need, seeing somebody who's hurting, seeing somebody who has just suffered something. And I'm even, I'm being a little dramatic. Maybe it's just somebody you live near who's just had a really rough week. And making that action to be with them and help them know that they have value and that God loves them. Sometimes, instead of justice being served, sometimes justice is just service. So we're called to act justly. He also says this, to love mercy. Uh, the word there for mercy is actually hesed. Hesed, again, another Hebrew word. And you will find this word all over the Bible, okay? And it's actually, it's, it's translated into English in a lot of different words, uh, but kind of the consensus from most scholars is the, the best way to translate it is this, it's loving kindness, okay? Loving kindness is what Hesed is. Uh, and, and even more importantly, Hesed is seen as a covenant relationship. Uh, not just a covenant relationship between people, but something that required some sort of action. So good examples of this would be in Genesis 40 when Joseph, uh, you know, he's, he's in prison in Egypt and he tells the cupbearer that he's with in prison, put in a good word for me for the Pharaoh. That's, that's this Hesed action of mercy. Uh, the Israelite army sparing Rahab's family in Joshua 2. Uh, for helping them. That's a good example of Hesed. These are stories that if you're not familiar, I would encourage you to go look up and read so we can better understand God's Hesed with us. 
this was often something between a sovereign and their subjects. So, so somebody in great power making a covenant with somebody who's not in as much power, not as impressive or important, and, and making that relationship solidified. So obviously, the, the best way we can describe this, I mean, there's no better has said covenant relationship than, than God's relationship with us, right? God looks down on his children and, and he sees the sin, he sees the brokenness. God, God doesn't need us in any way, and yet even in all of his infinite power and his might, he still chooses to be in contact, to be in relationship with us. And, and that's who Jesus is. Jesus is God moving into our neighborhood. He is Emmanuel, God with us. We just sang songs about this this Christmas season. Uh, God wants to be in relationship with his children. Uh, one of my favorite examples of Hesed, actually, it's, it's, it's between, this isn't between God and man, this is actually between two men, but it's found in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Uh, it's a story about David, and this is, this is King David, you gotta understand, this is King David at like his, his mightiest. He's established his throne, you know, he, he's a, this, seen as this great king in Israel, he's powerful, he's strong, he, Goliath was a long time ago, uh, and he says this, he says, is there anyone in the house of Saul left that I might show the Hesed of the Lord to. Now, one thing you think of when you think of David is you, you think of his friend, Jonathan, right? Jonathan and David, they were best buds. They had this, they were like total friendship goals, okay? And Jonathan and David, they loved each other, but Jonathan's dad was Saul, right? And Saul was kind of a crazy person, okay? Saul, several times, he tries to murder David because he looks at David and he says, oh, this is an opposition to my throne. When, I, when, when Saul looks at David, he's reminded that he is on borrowed time. And so he's very violent against David. He tries to kill David multiple times, and yet David maintains this relationship with Jonathan. And then a while after Jonathan has died, David, he doesn't have to worry about Saul or anything like that. He has no obligation, but he remembers the love of his friend Jonathan, and he says, is there anyone else in the house of Saul that I might show Hesed to. And that's what true mercy, that's what true loving kindness is. In fact, I read an essay on Hesed, the word Hesed, by a rabbi, and he described it as this, and I love it. Hesed is love in the long term. And that's the kind of love that God has for us. It's not temporary. It's not based on you know, us doing the right thing for a certain amount of time. No, God's love for us is here to stay. He has aligned himself with us through his son, Jesus, and he will not turn his back on us. Mercy is something we don't deserve. It's, it's interesting. You take these first two concepts, justice and mercy. Justice, the actual definition is to treat people equitably. So in other words, it's people getting what they deserve. That makes sense, right? Like if you do something wrong, you get what's coming to you, right? Uh, if, if somebody wrongs you, you should be able to have that wrong, you know, fixed. That's, that's just getting what you deserve. In contrast, though, mercy, it's getting what you don't deserve. And, you know, it's really hard. It's hard for us sometimes. We all want mercy, but we don't want to give it. Jesus tells a great story about this, actually. This is in Luke uh, chapter 17, um, or I'm sorry, Luke chapter 18. Um, he says this, starting in verse 21. Uh, Peter approached Jesus and said, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sinned against me? Seven times? Jesus said, I tell you, not as many as seven, but 70 times seven. Now, of course, seven was this number of completion in Israel. Uh, it's a very significant number. So basically, Jesus is saying, there's really no limit. Like, I have told you to be merciful and forgiving in my capacity, not your own. 
He said this, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven could be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Now, one time in Sunday school, we, we did this lesson and we kind of did the rough math. I went to Bible college, so don't hold, it to, hold me to it. But uh, we, we did the rough math on this and it basically would equal out to a debt that this man wasn't going to pay off in his lifetime, okay? It was this insurmountable debt and the king needs it, so he's in trouble. But it says this, since he did not have the money to pay it, his master commanded that he, his wife, and his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now doing the math, that's that's a significant debt, but I mean, not even in the same universe of what this guy owed the king, okay? But he sees this man, he grabbed him and he started choking him and said, pay me what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me and I will pay you back the exact same words that he said to the king. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into the prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after he summoned him, his master said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. That's a tough story. And you know, we, we, we get excited at the end because it's like, that's right. That guy, that guy, that's justice served. That guy should have been more merciful, but we forget that God calls us to that same mercy. Sometimes it's easy to think as mercy as something that God's responsible for. It's almost like we want to flip them, like, God, we'll handle the justice, okay? You can be merciful to people. You, I know you've forgiven everyone, but, but I don't have to. But the reality of this said love, this covenant love that God has made with us is this, that because we are in that relationship with him, because we have the assurance of being loved by him and being shown mercy by him, we are now empowered to do the same for other people we can show that same mercy even if people don't deserve it. Because guess what? If you deserve my mercy, it's not really mercy. Mercy is what we don't deserve. Uh, there's, I, I told this a little later in last sermon. I'm gonna tell it now. Uh, there's a concept in the Old Testament many of you might be familiar with, but it's called the year of Jubilee, okay? The, the excuse me, the year of Jubilee, uh, it was something that God put in place, especially when, when Israel started wandering in the desert. It was this idea that every seven years, uh, the people of Israel, if you had debt, you were forgiven that debt. Uh, and then every seventh, seventh year, so every 49th year, I believe, like, land and property were reinstated to their rightful owners and everything. But I, the first time I read about the year of Jubilee, I actually got, like, upset. I was like, that's not fair. Are you kidding me? So somebody can be, like, up to their neck in debt, and just because year seven comes along, they can just be completely forgiven? Are you kidding me? Somebody's in debt, and they just get to walk away from that. They don't have to pay it. That's not right. And then I start to remember that that's actually my relationship with God, that I am up to my neck in my own sin and my own brokenness, and yet God has paid that debt for me. 
And this is what I love about these first two concepts of, of love and of, or of, of justice and of mercy, of, of loving kindness, is this. They seem at odds because justice is, you know, what you deserve. To, to get justice is to get what people have coming to them, and yet mercy is what you don't deserve, you know? You can only receive mercy if you don't deserve it. That's why it's mercy. And I wonder, well, how do those things coexist? And the answer is simple and perfect. And the answer is Jesus Christ, because it's at the cross where justice is fully satisfied and mercy is fully extended. Think about that for a little bit. You know, God comes down in the form of Jesus, and at the cross, both of, the, both of these things are fulfilled. Mercy is fulfilled. We receive mercy because we get what we didn't deserve. We, we don't get punished for the things we were responsible for. But at the same time, justice was satisfied because there, there was no getting rid of the consequence. That consequence was paid by somebody else. So it is in Jesus that we find the hope that we can find true justice and true mercy because only Jesus offers both of those things to their true extent. It's a beautiful thing. So, so how can we really show true justice? How can we act justly, but how can we also love mercy? And I believe the way that we do that is actually the third thing on this list. So it says, God has required for us to act justly he has required for us to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. Uh, God calls us to walk humbly with him. And when I, when I think of walking with God, one scripture that comes to mind for me is like Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. I, I, I think of walking with God and sometimes I think about only my own personal benefits. You know, uh, I'm walking with God because I'm excited about my destination. And, and that's that next blank. Walking with God isn't just about the destination. Um, we, we love the fact that our hope is secure. And that is important. I mean, the fact that my hope is secure, that's the reason that, that I, I, I wanna tell people about Jesus because I'm excited about him. I know that I get to live with him for eternity. But it's not just about the destination. Walking humbly with God means waking up every day and saying, God, not my will, but your will. God, not my definition of justice, but your definition. God, not my definition of mercy, which I really like and would like to hold on to, but your definition of mercy. Because the reality is sometimes God uses justice and mercy in ways we might not feel comfortable with, and that's okay. I mean, I can say for myself, sometimes I, I see people get mercy, and I don't want them to get mercy. Sometimes I feel like Jonah overlooking Nineveh, sitting under that plant, just being so angry with God. You know, God, do you know this person and what they've done and how annoying they are and how much I can't stand them, and yet you really love them as much as you love me? And he does, because God loves all of us because he's made a covenant with us. So the best way to be able to do these things is to walk humbly with God. Walking humbly means being humble enough to admit that God's ways truly are higher than our ways, that God's knowledge truly is higher than ours, that we don't get to decide who gets the mercy. We don't get to decide when and where and how justice is doled out. That is for God to know, and yet he invites us into that work. Ephesians 2.10 says that God has created us for his handiwork. God invites us into this justice doing and this mercy loving with him, and that's exciting. And so what I wanna end with today is this, that God calls us to righteous action and righteous relationship. 
God calls us to righteous action and righteous relationship. So what I would say to you if you're wondering, well, how do I act justly? I would say this, remember that while we all want justice, sometimes we're not really willing to work for that justice. For example, I, I can say that I, I want justice for people in, in impoverished countries across the world, but I don't care to act justly towards my neighbor here in Fort Scott. One thing I would say to you is this, be willing to advocate for people who might be weak, who might be hurting, who might not be okay. Be aware that there are people who maybe need you to show them what the justice of God really looks like in their life. And, and how, do I, how do I love mercy? How am I so humble that I could possibly be merciful to people in the right way? Well, maybe there are people in your minds right now. I know there's people in mind that I maybe need to like go forgive or maybe even go ask for their forgiveness and their, their mercy. And all this is possible if I'm walking humbly with God and saying, God, you truly are greater than me. Your justice and your mercy, they are why I can live with you because it's at the cross where those two things meet. So again, I wanna encourage us that God, he calls us to righteous action and righteous relationships. So for 2020, um, and I'm gonna pray in a little bit and then, then the band can come up, but in 2020, remember this, that he has shown you what is good. And what does our God require of us to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with him? Let's pray. Jesus, you are so good, and I thank you for this text that makes us want to sing and dance. It is so exciting to know that you are a God of true justice, Lord, in this world where sometimes it seems like nothing good is ever going to happen. The, the evil is never going to be defeated. We know that you are going to come with finality, and you are going to end evil and sickness and death and sin in this world. God, we also thank you for being a God who, even though we deserve it, you show us mercy. You have entered into a covenant with us. You have loved us with this hased mercy. And Lord, I thank you that not only do these things exist, but you invite us to walk in them humbly with you. Lord, we thank you so much and we pray that we would be able to work in righteous action and righteous relationships.